0: Welcome back to ZatCast. This is Chad Janisek. I'm here with Patrick Lawler. Hey, Pat, man. How are you doing these days?
1: I'm good, Chad. The good news is we hit the record button this time to get us started.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) last time. (laughs) Well, hey, man, both of us, uh, just as a disclaimer, at least for me, uh, have had kind of an up-close and personal relationship with COVID-19 lately. Uh, So right now, I actually have a six-month-old that's kind of hanging out. In the other room. So you might hear his little grumblings throughout the recording here. But uh, how's your family doing, Pat?
1: Mine's good, man. You know, we have just rolled out of our 14 day quarantine. Uh, For those who didn't know, my wife uh, got COVID a couple of weeks ago. She's a high school principal. And so therefore, we had the fun and joy of COVID quarantine. For some reason, I did not get COVID. I I don't know how the bigger, more unhealthy guy did not get COVID, but uh, I was safe. And sound. And my kids were home for 14 days, which today is their first day back at school. There is great excitement in my household as my kids I'm have gone back to excite. school. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. So two of my three kids have had teachers contract or test positive. So uh, they've all been fine, but the youngest has been here. This is, I guess he goes back on Thursday and then my oldest just started his two weeks. So yeah, it's it's a reminder how difficult it was to get work done back in March and April.
1: It, it also reminds me of what a terrible parent I am when my kids were normally just like a little sick and I would just send them to school, you know, like you're not that sick. You don't have a fever, right? Just go to school. <laughs> my mom would tell me as kids, Hey, take two Tylenol and go to school. That's the joke in our family. Take two Tylenol and go to school. But uh, yeah, I mean, COVID's, COVID's been a little different and it's hit close to home. My wife's symptoms were really, really light, just, you know, really almost lighter than her last flu. Um, but it's not like that for everybody. So we got to be super careful.
0: Yeah. Especially with a surge in Texas. I mean, I think I saw El Paso is like 300% increase in their weekly caseloads over last week.
1: Yep. yep. Um, and they just, I mean, they just implemented a curfew because yeah, of it. So
0: my brother's supposed to get married next month. And my other brother who lives in Europe is trying to figure out if he can actually make it here for the wedding. And, uh, cause where he lives in the Czech Republic, they also have a pretty severe, uh, surge the last few weeks i think a couple of days ago they had like 0.15% of their whole population tested positive in a single day oh yeah it was scary stuff uh to yeah. be sure but yeah i mean it's it's still present right it's still kind of a problem that we're having to deal with we have elections going on uh, you know we've seen the last couple of months of sales taxes has been less uh robust as it had been you know a couple of months before that so i mean the longer this drags on obviously the the bigger of an impact it's going to be. if it just hangs out there, then you know people are going to start to get even more frustrated. And it's I don't know. Part of me is is glad that I'm no longer in city government and having to actually deal with those those difficulties. But I definitely feel for all of our friends who do uh, who are currently working in the field.
1: Yeah, I mean Texas has obviously fared better than most states um, in the U.S. Uh, but with election season on us, you know, it's just a. It's always a goofy time. Every four years in the United States, as we come into election season, it's goofy. You know, you can't, you look at the polling data, it's all over the place. You look at what's going on in the news right now and it's all over the place. I mean, you watch the debates. I don't really know why you would do that, but you know, I mean, it's just a, it's a weird spot right now that we're in. Um, and uh, obviously COVID, you know, throws a, a, a wrench into that for sure. So yeah. You know, my hope is, is we, we wake up in the spring, uh, cause it's, it's a brisk, like 37 degree day today, uh, in North Texas, uh, cold and rainy for the next two to three days. And I hope we wake up in the spring and we see flowers and sunshine and and maybe a uh, COVID vaccine to kind of get a, get us out of this funk. But, uh, I'm afraid it, it may be a little longer than that, but hopefully we can hopefully we get there.
0: Yeah. There have been some really interesting things come out in the last couple of weeks about, uh, pandemics in the past and how they've shaped cities and you know we talked a little bit we gave a talk at a one day conference last week and talked about how cities can adapt um in times of stress but just the way that cities have changed their public spaces and and the the growth of urban parks and things like that with pandemics past it'll be interesting to see how this particular circumstance changes the way that cities operate into the future
1: you know it's it with cities and and also with us it's it's a little weird Doing a conference uh, via Zoom, it was it was very well done. By the way, the the conference was very well done. The speakers were really good. Uh, they had great participation, but it's just so weird doing it by Zoom. Um, I, I feel like in chat, I've been talking over the past couple of weeks about okay, once once we get past COVID, uh, you know what what's that gonna feel like? I feel like I'm gonna get shot out a bazooka, and everybody across the state of Texas is gonna start to see me places. <laughs> like <laughs> like i I'm ready to get out. (laughs) I'm ready to go see people. You know, we got all these cities in the state and I'm just, I want to be able to go and sit down in their conference rooms and have conversations and help them out along the way and uh, go to conferences and do happy hours and all that type of stuff. And it's just, um, you know, we're going to get back to that. I think people need to remember that, you know, even with the the early 1900s flu, we got back to it and we're going to get back to it again. Uh, It's just kind of a, you got to get through this grind at this
0: point. The weird part to me about these Zoom conferences um is that I have a very particular sense of humor and so the jokes that I write into our presentations I have no way of knowing if they're like landing or if they're just totally flat so it's a little bit harder for me just because like I have to I have to adjust how we build our presentations um last year we gave a talk about Mr. Miyagi which I think we actually kind of talked about on the on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the beginning of it, I had like a two minute synopsis of the movie, which is like rapid fire, really quick, make some jokes about the movie, assuming that, you know, everyone had seen Karate Kid, but I very quickly figured out that almost no one had seen the movie. So (laughs) all of the jokes that I had made, uh, had like, you know, built up and like, they all led to, they like built on each other. And as none of them landed, (laughs) I just kind of had to like lower my expectations, but when you can't read the room because you can't see anyone, it's just a little bit different, but very appreciative either way to have the opportunity to, uh, to talk about local government issues.
1: Well, and I mean, the presentation you gave last week, uh, was, I I guess, generationally a little bit more acceptable. I think, I think the only thing you had in that presentation was the Mr. Belding reference from stay by the bell.
0: I mean, if I'm I'm not dating myself at least once in a
1: presentation, then what's the point? That's true. That is true. So My wife actually
0: actually got to meet Mr. Belding uh, at a bar in Waco, Texas, when she was in college.
1: In Waco? What was he doing in Waco?
0: (laughs) I have no idea what he was doing in Waco, but she was at a bar, I think after like a football game or something, ran into Mr. Belding, and she got him to sign a napkin as Mr. Belding. But yeah, anyway, so uh, we have our monthly newsletter that goes out probably in the next day or so. So if you haven't signed up for it yet, uh, it's roundup.zactex.com. It's totally free. It is not a sales pitch type thing. It's just an area where an opportunity for us to talk in a little bit more extended format about whatever seems interesting to us at the time. But we're talking about some issues with uh, an audit report that came out with the city of Austin. Uh, But one of the things that we do is uh, we just sort of include a handful of articles that we have found over the previous weeks that we found interesting and didn't want to talk about in length, but definitely wanted to share. So, you want to hit on a couple of those in this format today, Pat?
1: Yeah. So, I'm going to start with my favorite, which is uh, the article that we posted on the McDonald's McBroken website. I don't know if anybody has been to McDonald's lately, but uh, McDonald's has kind of changed up the way that they do their shakes and, um, and their McFlurries, right? And they're ice cream machines in general. And so they've got kind of a new machine that they came out with a couple of years ago. And there's there's a lot of jokes out there that uh, specifically refer to these chronically broken ice cream machines. Uh, anyways, a software engineer, a guy as nerdy as Chad, he may be actually he's a little probably nerdier. nerdier than me. Yeah, he's a little nerdier than Chad. Reverse engineered the McDonald's internal API to figure out which McDonald's stores around the United States had broken McFlurry machines, broken soft serve machines, right? Um, And he's done this so that people don't get their hopes up and go to a McDonald's and order and figure out that the machine is broken. Also, it's important to note that a lot of times when you go to McDonald's, the employees will actually say the machine is broken, but it's not because they don't want to have to go through the whole cleaning regimen that the machine requires. Right, so it also solves that issue for you as well. So if you're if you're somebody who loves McDonald's ice cream, which by the way I I do love an old fashioned McDonald's ice cream cone. Uh, back in college, they used to do those for ninety nine cents. They were on the ninety nine cent menu, uh, and I used I used to tear those up. Those were amazing. So
0: I had no idea that this was an issue. And one of the interesting things about it is that some people are looking at this from a a socioeconomic standpoint, like where are the broken machines? Are they concentrated in, in urban areas, in areas where the socioeconomic status is lower versus higher, which is kind of actually an interesting analysis. Um, but Patrick, do you have any idea what it means to reverse engineer an API? Like, should we explain that? You should explain that. I I think,
1: do you want me to give an attempt?
0: I would love for you to do that. Yes.
1: Okay. So, so an API is a, um, is, is a protocol. It's a call to a server, right? To garner information from that server. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: No, just keep going.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what what I believe this guy did is that uh, there is an internal API. So there is an ability for McDonald's to communicate with its stores to understand whether things are working or not working, where McDonald's can, uh, can basically ping a store and then the store can tell it or give it information back. This guy figured out what that API was so that he could place orders and figure out whether McFlurry would be allowed, like a McFlurry machine could then be allowed to place an order. So that's, that's what he did. How did I do? Not too bad.
0: Not too bad. Okay. So an API stand, API stands for application programming interface. And it's not limited to like online, you know, computer to computer it's it's also the term that we use to describe how we interact with like programming libraries and things like that in programming languages but in this case this internal api was used in mcdonald's online ordering system so if you're on their website and you know you click the button to add a uh, an ice cream cone what it's doing the website is doing is making an api call to something inside mcdonald's you know system and it's trying to add a, an ice cream cone to your order. Mm-hmm. And McDonald's, their internal servers basically have a record of whether or not those machines are working. And if they're not working, it will return back to the website that it cannot add the item to the order. So what he did is call that service directly instead of through the web interface. And so basically what he was doing is placing like $19,000 worth of ice cream orders every minute, like every McDonald's across the country. And then uh, if the, if this request to add the ice cream cone failed, then he would know it was broken. It actually returned information about the ice cream machine, whether it was active, whether it was working or not. And then he would just cancel the order. So you know, no ice cream was wasted in this process. Although McDonald's data scientists are going to have a very interesting time pulling all of those API requests out, like all the, the, all, the you know, all those mm-hmm. shopping carts that had an ice cream order added to it and then removed. Someone's going to be trying to figure out (laughs) how come we had all this interest in ice cream and then no one ever ordered anything. Um, So I actually tried to do this uh, recently with with Marriott.com. So uh, what we were trying to do is is look to see if there's any sort of service that could provide information on room availabilities and uh, room prices and things like that. And there are a couple that are mainly geared towards travel agents and people who are trying to help you book. So they didn't quite have the information that I was interested in. So I just looked at Marriott.com's their website, and picked a, a hotel and tried to actually book the room. And there's a there's a thing that you can open up in your browser called Developer Tools, and it will actually show you all of these things that are happening. And so I found the API call that would actually uh, that the website was using to attempt to book the room or to find information about the room. Like if you search, you know, I want these nights and I want uh, this this location, then it will ping their servers and say, okay, here are the hotels and here are the rooms that are available and these are the prices. But it will actually tell you how many rooms they have available and at what level because, you know, like sometimes you have two queen beds or a king bed or, you know, different options. So, it would actually return to you every single detail about their availability and prices. It was really cool, but Marriott and maybe La Quinta were the only hotels that I could find that had that information. So, it was more just for fun. It wasn't something that we could end up using. But uh, yeah, it's always fun to kind of go in behind the scenes and, and hack things that weren't intended to be used publicly.
1: <laughs> so uh, just a little bit of on API. The only thing I knew about API to begin with in like our first couple of years as Zach is when we were using outside data sources to do some things internally on Zach. And Chad would get really excited about something he would find. I would always ask this question. I had no idea what it meant. But I was always asking, "Do they have an API?" <laughs> Chad would go, "Yeah, they do have an API," and I'd be like, "That's great!" I had no idea what the API meant. But all over about the time, over time, he's he's chop, He's top. Just
0: feigning excitement is usually all it takes.
1: <laughs> just, I just try to operate on your level occasionally, Jed. Just a little bit. So ne- next up, man. Next uh, up, I, let's talk about uh, Bloomberg City Lab. We, we tend to like things that come out of City Lab on, on Bloomberg. They're very interesting articles, but uh, an article, In the Land of Cul-de-Sacs, The Street Grid Stages a Comeback. So this is an article uh, that basically, since the 1950s, suburban planning has been dominated by winding, disconnected, cul-de-sac-style roads. Full disclosure, I live on a, on, on a double cul-de-sac. That's like an L cul-de-sac, right? So... Uh, but right now in Texas, there are a few areas where new developments are rediscovering the old uh, grid format originally formed historical context here. The grid first grid format in North America was in the city of don't look at the article
0: Pennsylvania or Philadelphia, Still, Philadelphia, yes. 16,
1: 1682 surveyor Thomas Holm in Philadelphia.
0: So the thing that's interesting about grids is just how efficient they are. Um, and the article actually mentions Bastrop, which uh, mm-hmm. I think the study they did was with virginity.
1: Yeah, they did years it was ago. First, it, it was. Yep.
0: Um, but you know, our our neighborhoods. There's this complaint about like sameness for our neighborhoods, and and part of that has to do with the fact that we all try to design them as in these like elaborate circular drives and super long blocks and cul de sacs and things like that, um, and they all tend to kind of look the same. And the argument is that with grids, what you actually allow is diversity of development. And so neighborhoods can end up being quite different because you have different uses on these grids. But one of the other things from a traffic design standpoint is that they're, is, they're significantly more efficient at getting vehicles around because the number of – like the options in terms of the number of trips you can take is exponentially greater than uh, what we consider like a normal neighborhood with winding roads, cul-de-sacs and things like that. There are only so many, like how many ways are there to get out of your neighborhood? Like two? Two. Think of other neighborhoods in Hudson. Two and they both drop you off on the same road. On the same road, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So like a grid, there's actually uh, an equation. Well, so there's an equation that the article references called, I think this article references it or one that it linked to called the Hawthorne's equation. And it basically is just a way to calculate the number of paths that you can take in a grid with a goal in mind, like I'm going from point A to point B and every move has to take me closer to my destination. So with those constraints, how many different paths can I take? And the number is it's exponential because it's all based on factorials and things like that. Mm-hmm. Hawthorne's equation is basically a form of what's called a grid walking problem. But just to give you an idea, a three by three grid, there are 20 possible ways to go from one corner to the other corner. A 10 by 10 blocked grid, there are 185,000 different paths that you can take, right? So not only do you have the ability to move traffic in a more efficient way, but even people who are walking or running, you know, or jogging, whatever, exercising, they have all kinds of different ways that they can kind of diversify and, and, and you know, just take different paths and kind of keep things fresh. Versus if you're just walking through a traditional neighborhood, like what I do and I run through my neighborhood is it's just the same thing, Right. So in terms of like moving traffic and getting people through neighborhoods and and uh, and things like that, grids are obviously more efficient, but it also allows for different development, makes it more pedestrian friendly than than kind of what we are used to. So anyway, interesting article about how grids are making a comeback. And it's definitely, I think, a good thing.
1: Well, and they push in this article specifically, they talk about, you know, uh, some communities in Texas. You talk about Bastrop. Uh, they actually go into I believe it was Laredo and their new plan, what they were looking at there. And then, um, they, they talk about really the sunbelt in general is also seeing a lot of this movement where, uh, the thought of the urban exodus is, you know, right now with COVID, is there going to be an urban exodus? I mean, I think if you talk to a lot of developers that are developing in the, the exurbs, they would tell you, yeah, they're seeing that right now. You know, every lot they have is selling like hotcakes, but those lots are still, not necessarily built in grid format because city subdivision ordinances are still written for, you know, 1960s development patterns, which were pushed heavily by the federal housing authority in order to develop these neighborhoods. Right. So, um, there's a lot that has to change in cities for that grid format to kind of make a comeback. But I will say, uh, I'm not going to mention a city cause I have mentioned a city in like five podcasts already, but, uh, there are some great cities in Texas and some of the things that I love about the Nemos is that they're developed on a grid format. Um, and some of the cool areas that you have around town. One, one of my favorite areas of Fort Worth, for example, is Magnolia. And the whole area, like that medical district, Magnolia, uh, the restaurants, and, and the closest of all those subdivisions is because of a grid format. The grid format's really what makes that area work uh, well. So uh, pretty pretty cool little article if, if you're curious and you want to look at it. And if you're looking at making changes to your subdivision ordinance it's it's something that i certainly would take a look at.
0: And following all the links I came across this this uh picture here of I'm going to show it to you on the video call but I'll post a link to it. But it's if a traffic engineer was designing a grocery store. <laughs> okay. It's basically like one long <laughs> row with a bunch of cul-de-sacs, one for produce, one for meat, yes. etc. It's kind of funny.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny.
0: So in other news Patrick an angry French beekeeper delivered more than 1,000 murder hornets to its local town hall. Yeah, and so
1: this is one. You know what's weird this about one. this? though?
0: So you sent this article from Nine News in Australia, and it's about a French beekeeper.
1: <laughs> <It's about laughs> the world that we live
0: in. Getting I know French it's, news from Australia.
1: It's so international. Um, so a little little bit of background here. So Chad reads a ton. I read a ton of just news articles that come up in. Uh, some of that comes through like my Google feed that I have set up. Uh, a lot of it comes through, I'll just get bored and I'll Google and then hit the news button on Google and just roll through it. And I'll get like 40 pages deep. This was, this was like 45 pages deep on there. So clearly I, I, I had gone international at that point.
0: You are the anomaly uh, because, uh, I just saw a statistic that less than 1% of people will actually click on a result that's past page one on Google.
1: Oh man. I, I, a lot of times when I Google stuff, I'll go to like page five just to see what page five says.
0: I, I just curious. So I've been trying DuckDuckGo recently, probably for the past uh-huh. six
1: months or so. Like You're tired of being tracked?
0: Yeah, I'm tired of being tracked. But for most things, it's as, it's not as good, but it's good enough. But there's just like a handful of specific types of searches that it's awful for. And I always have to go back to Google. But anyway, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, I mean, everybody's hanging on a cliff now, wanting to know what happened with these bees. So, yeah, so yeah, this can't beekeeper even, can't
0: leave anyone in suspense <laughs> over the murder hornets.
1: This French beekeeper um, called his town about these bees on his property multiple times. He had requested that the local government come out and destroy the murder hornets.
0: So, were they, could you ever figure out if they were on his property or just someone else's property that he didn't like them to be there? Like, what was the impetus for the call?
1: It it sounded it was all it says it was on his private domain in the article. Okay. On right. So I, I'm guessing the private domain in French means well it's his said, property. But it's do said, French people actually own property? It's <laughs> it's I, said, I, I, that's, a, that's a valid question. That's why we fought a revolution, right? To own property. Says, I got no comment. <laughs> Come on.
0: I'm just trying to figure out how to respond to this without <laughs> causing problems. I'm sure yes, the French people own property. Um, but okay. it says the private domain, and it says on private property. I couldn't find anything that said it was on his private property. It, it, I was just curious if you had found any any more detail on that. It's not super relevant. To the no, I, I didn't.
1: I didn't dig into this further because one, I, I speak English, and I think it would have been more difficult to find it. I, I don't know French, and uh, and two, I was just I, I got into this because you know you, you get people who get like a parking ticket and they bring in like a thousand pennies, right? to pay did you see that yes i saw the lane (laughs) kiffin story yeah so you you get people who do that but you have a guy who calls uh french animal control right um so he gets on the phone he's bonjour i have these hornets (laughs) i can't help myself with this story i'm sorry they don't come out they don't respond to him so he after not doing it himself after not picking himself up by his own bootstraps, as Ben Franklin would say, he then takes the nest.
0: Michael Scott's favorite president.
1: Michael Scott's favorite president. He then takes this nest and deposits it at the front door of the municipal headquarters of the city hall, basically, right? For everybody to have to deal with the Asian murder hornets. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. I thought it was the French way of paying with a thousand pennies.
0: So is there a takeaway for our our dear listeners?
1: There's absolutely no takeaway. It was just the humor of the story. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was nothing else that I was bringing to this story other than the, the bee are there. There's like this backlash of beekeepers. This guy apparently is a beekeeper, right? An apiarist. What can you say that one more time?
0: Apiarist.
1: I, I had no idea. I learned something new every day from you, Chad. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. You can um, think, uh, you can thank the office,
1: the office. Okay. No, so, Jim,
0: I have a bad apiarist.
1: <laughs> so the uh the murder asian hornets have been infiltrating the european border since 2004 and the beekeepers are fighting back and their way of fighting back is to take the murder hornet's nest and put it on city hall steps come on it's protest at its best
0: bonjour i don't know i would not call that civil disobedience it seems like it could would you get someone it? hurt
1: they don't do murder hornets sting.
0: I, mean, I think wasps. they're called. I know that they well, attack hornets.
1: They attack hornets and they
0: they kill bees, well, right? What was the well? That's that's a problem in itself. But what was if they don't if they can't attack people, then what was all the concern about a few months ago with the murder hornets in the northwest?
1: Ah, uh, it's a really good question. I don't, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Either way, uh, some people are crazy. So.
1: But are are <laughs> the murder careful. hornets? Yeah, correct. So I I mean it's something new every day, right? Um. Currently, so that nobody gets too concerned, according to this article, Washington and the Canadian province of British Columbia are the only places the murder hornets have been located in North America, apparently.
0: So far. We still have two months left in 2020.
1: You see, that's... And and I am all for not falling back for the time. Why give 2020 an extra hour? It doesn't deserve it.
0: That's a good point. I had yeah. no idea when the fallback period was, and I actually thought it happened last week because I woke up for the first time in a while. When you have three kids, it's sometimes difficult to get a full night's sleep. Woke up Sunday and I was like, "Man, I feel refreshed." Oh, it must have been the uh, daylight savings time, but no.
1: I'm sorry, I was counting your kids to make sure that three was correct. It's three. You'll have to you'll have to cut this point out, but <laughs> <laughs> <It's three. laughs> it drove so fast, I'm losing track.
0: <laughs> but since you mentioned the French Revolution. You know, after a lot of urging, I mean, I wanted to watch it, but you had to urge me to actually like sit through and finish it. Uh, The Michael Jordan documentary, you have yet to watch
1: Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. It is becoming disrespectful to you as a friend, and I'm sorry. I will, to my best of the ability, probably on Saturday, because I have a free Saturday without any baseball, uh, I'll try to watch Hamilton. So so I bring
0: this up because one of the things that we're talking about doing with this podcast is is adding a new episode format where we do a short episode but kind of a deep dive into a specific topic. Mm -hmm. Um, We did this a few weeks ago when you were out of town on like data visualization, and one of the things that you've talked about doing is economic development. And I just actually found this out I think last night and sent you a text about it. The first economic development incentive in american history by none other than alexander hamilton
1: who according to you was an evil man i didn't say he was evil you did so so we had this whole conversation in my truck the other day my my two boys were in the truck Uh, they're they were homeschooling because of covid quarantine for 14 days and they had an american president question well first off my son said that abraham lincoln was like the 40th or 50th president of the united states which i knew was not correct but I wasn't going to Google it while I was in the car. So I just called my own personal Google, Chad. And uh, we got on the phone. And as we started having these conversations, wh- what was it you said about it? He said that George Washington was the was the best president. That's what my son that's said. That's what your son said, yes. Yes. And your response to him was?
0: My response to him was that George Washington let himself get overrun by Alexander Hamilton.
1: Yes, who was an evil man. I didn't say he was evil. Oh, that's true.
0: The problem but with he, that- the problem with alexander hamilton is he was extremely ambitious but he had a very unconstrained view of <laughs> despite <laughs> the 50 plus federalist papers that he wrote he had a very unconstrained view of how the constitution actually um was set up and and called for federal action versus state action versus local so
1: and, and to stay out of all the political fray of what has happened because uh, yesterday uh justice amy Coney barrett was officially approved to the Supreme Court it is a very interesting conversation to have right now because a lot of what went through the hearings was the talk of points of view and how the the Constitution is interpreted right and your point on Alexander Hamilton is is that he took a very broad approach
0: my point on Hamilton is that he wrote 50 plus Federalist papers outlining how the Constitution constrained the federal government
1: mm-hmm.
0: along with James Madison primarily. And then as soon as he became Treasury Secretary, he was like, Psych, we can do whatever we want to do. So, <laughs> so yeah, my problem with him is not anything personal. It's just sort of the bait and switch that took place.
1: Okay. So, so basically, your problem is not you're not taking a stand on how to interpret the Constitution. Your problem is, is that he took a stand on how to interpret the Constitution yeah. with like fifty plus papers. Yeah, and, and then turned like, it exactly for the, opposite the express of what he
0: purpose of getting it approved. Okay, and then just flip flip the uh, the script on day one.
1: So, are you telling me Alexander Hamilton, who's become very famous in the eyes of many people because of obviously Hamilton the musical, are you telling me that he said one thing to get something politically approved, but then did something totally different later in his political career? I mean.
0: Never in the history of politics has that ever happened before or since Alexander I'll Hamilton. Tell you, so <laughs> I'll
1: tell you, I'll tell you what we're not watching it every day right now.
0: No, but so. uh, if if any of our listeners have followed our Zach Tax blog, the most recent episode or most recent article that we wrote uh, was sort of a piggyback on last month's newsletter about storytelling. And um, anyone who has seen the musical, the excellent Tony Award-winning musical, We'll find several uh, several Easter eggs in that article referencing it. So, if you can find all of them, you're welcome to send me an email, and I'll give you a, a Zach Tex T-shirt or something.
1: A swag order. We hadn't talked about this though. Let's let's wrap up with this. Can we, okay. Are you ready to let's let's wrap up with this? So, uh, Chad has developed a swag site uh, that we'll be able to send links to folks. So they can select an order for swag. Like they can get a t-shirt or they can get a beanie or a hat, something along those lines or pins or trinkets or whatever, right? And we can send it. So instead of just randomly sending people stuff, we now have this site set up. So if you could identify some of those little egglets that that Chad has in that article, which are super nerdy, by the way. If you can identify them and send them to Chad, we'll probably get you. You could be one of our first swag. Our very
0: first. Yeah, we built it for the sales tax game day that we are, uh, we should hopefully be able to make live for the November sales tax, which is actually a week later than normal. So it's the 13th is when sales tax comes out in November. So uh, hopefully sometime shortly after this podcast is released, we'll be able to open up that sales tax game day and you can go on and uh, make your estimates, your projections on where sales tax is going to land for November across all Texas cities. And then the idea is whoever's closest to the mark. So significant digits matter. This is not Prices Right. It's just whoever is closer, uh, will send you a voucher for for something from the Zach Swag Store,
1: which is like T-shirts, beanies, hats, yeah. those type of things. So nothing nothing too crazy. But, uh, anyways, guys, we appreciate you uh, tuning in to ZachCast, uh for us to go through and talk about all these fun, jazzy things. We we didn't hit on COVID for long, but obviously it's getting cold outside. It's getting wet. We want you guys to stay safe. Chad, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, thanks, Pat.